This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 340. And the quote of the day is from Robert Penn Warren, who said, History cannot give us a program for the future, but it can give us a fuller understanding of ourselves and of our common humanity so that we can better face the future. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond and beyond and beyond and beyond. Ciao, friends and family. Welcome to another episode of the Drummers Resource Podcast, episode 340. And you can find all of these episodes by going to drummersresource.com. They're on the all of the podcast apps, but they only show the latest 300. Um, so some of them show all of them. Like if you go to Stitcher or if you go to Cast, C-A-S-T-S, that's a great one. Uh, that shows, but if you're listening on iTunes, you can only see the the latest 300 on there. So, but they're all available, but you can find them. They're all free. And speaking of free, this podcast is free because of the great support from companies like Musicians Institute. And Musicians Institute is in the heart of Hollywood, California. They've been there since the 70s. Did you know that they teach all sorts of drumming styles? So you can learn gospel drumming, you can learn electronic drumming, you can learn jazz, funk, rock, fusion. You can also learn all about the industry as well by guys who are out there in the field doing it, and they also teach at MI. So it's not just professors that are teaching, it's guys who are out there playing, recording, touring, all of that, and they also teach there at the school. You can learn more about the world-class faculty, the amazing facility that they have there as well, by going to mi.e. D-U. And if you're going to check out Musicians Institute in Hollywood, you might as well drive an hour north, go to Oxnard, California, and visit the DW factory. DW has been in business since the 70s. They started in Los Angeles as a drum school, and they turned into one of the world's largest manufacturers of drums. You can go to Oxnard. You can watch them make drums. You can do a free tour. You can go to the showroom. All of that stuff is available. It's free of charge, and you get to meet the great people behind these amazing drums. To learn more about that and to schedule a tour, you can go to dwdrums.com. Now, this conversation, this is a great conversation that I've been trying to line up for a very long time with the one and only Marcus Gilmore. And if you don't know who Marcus is, shame on you. Uh, he is a world-class jazz drummer. He has played with Chick Corea he, at a very young age. He has played with Chris Potter. He's played with Joshua Redman and a long list of other A-list jazz musicians. But he's also the grandson of the amazing Roy Haynes. And we talk a lot about that. We talk about the the lineage and the history of that as well. And all sorts of different stuff about musicality and about the Instagram culture and and technical proficiency and how that translates into being able to play musically and all of that. Just a really eye-opening, a very deep, a very informative conversation with a man who I think is wise beyond his years at 31 years old. So without further ado, I want to get into it with the one and only Marcus Gilmore. Marcus, what's happening, my man? How you doing? Doing pretty well. Feeling pretty good. Good. Good to hear. I uh, I appreciate you taking the time. It took us a minute to line this up, which is normally is normally the case, but uh, I do appreciate you taking some time to chat today, my man. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. 
happy to be a part. We're happy to have you, one hundred percent. I wanna I wanna talk about your childhood for a minute, and one because I like to l- build a little bit of backstory, but two, um, I, I think it helps contextually to talk about how you grew up, the way that you grew up, and how that really blends or blends itself into your playing. So I know. So you were born where? Hollis, Queens. Yes, yes, I sure was. I see you did your research. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, I man. see you did your research. Uh, yeah, yeah. So talk to me about talk to me about growing up. Like, what was what was it like for you as a kid growing up in Hollis? So you grew up in you know what, how old are you now? Thirty. Uh, Thirty one. Thirty one. Yep. Just passed. Man, I was I was making I was making you younger. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> So tell so you and I are, are I'm a few years older than you, but we grew up in the same time. You know, you grew up in the in the eighty late eighties, right? Yep, yep. So, so talk to me about what it was like growing up for you. And I know that you grew up in a in a household of musicians. So how did that how did that shape you as a as a young child and now as a player now? Well, you know, it was a, it was a pretty it was a pretty strong musical foundation. Um, yeah, like you said, everybody in the house played something. So, uh, and it was very. Um, it was very casual. Um, even if even if the musicians were serious, it was never like a. In, in regards to the family, you know, it was a very casual, um, kind of a daily thing. Um, you know, there, there was a my father, and my mother played in the church, and um, my uncles didn't really play in the church, but they they had played in the church in the past, and but then they would always be practicing around. You know, I grew up in a two family house, so there were a lot of people, a lot of people there. And then I have three older sisters as well, and they all sang. And then they, you know, actually, really, really, what it comes down to is everybody in my family plays some type of drum, <laughs> even if it's just like played some type of drum. Yeah, even if it's just like a beat yeah. or something. Like my sisters, they all can sit down and play something. Right. They actually played drums before I did drum set. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because you didn't start until until what you were about ten years old or something, right? I read that that you that you were sort of like I want to play drums, and your everyone in your family's like, well, hold off for a little bit. Well, really, I mean, or they wanted to see if you were passionate about it. Yeah, I mean, well, really, my my mom knew I was passionate because I had a hand. She got me some hand drums when I was, a, you know, like four or five years old, and mm. it was it was a natural affinity there. But and she she recognized that immediately. But I guess it really it was more my grandfather that really needed to see that I was serious. Because <laughs> everybody that lived with me knew that I was like, oh, this guy's always hitting something. But but you know, I didn't see my grandfather as much. You know, maybe like right. once a month or something like that. So. When you were younger and you were growing up, did you realize who your grandfather was? Not did you know who he was, but did you realize like the magnitude of 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 who he is? Yeah, to a certain degree. I mean, I realized it more and more. You know, I yeah, like I I knew he was my grandfather, and and I know he was a <laughs> he was a really great drummer, but I I didn't really know. You know, I realized the significance of what he was doing more and more. Like, how old is he now? He's ninety two. So he's like. He's not only he's not a jazz pioneer. He's he's a pioneer of the instrument. That's what I like to say. Yeah, that's that's the way I think about it. I mean, because I mean, how old is the drum set? You know, a hundred and exactly whatever, exactly. hundred twenty years old, hundred ten years old, maybe barely, maybe. So he's been. Yeah, I mean, he's like he's not only he's not only like I said a pioneer in jazz, but I, he he's like one of the first guys to ever really be playing a drum set, which is just beyond amazing. Yep. Do you did did you feel was there any pressure from that growing up or was there, was there pressure in the family of, from that? Not really. I mean, as long as, you know, everybody knew I was serious. So, so it was pretty organic. It was never like, you know, you need to 
need to practice. Like I was, I was wanting to practice. So, right. um, you know, I had a harder time. There was a moment where I was going to uh, the school. I was going to Juilliard on Saturdays when I first started started playing the drums, and um, that's where I learned how to read music and stuff. They let me borrow a xylophone so I could practice certain things. You know, when I was home, that mm-hmm. I had a harder time practicing getting to that instrument. I didn't practice that as much. That really? I should have. Yeah, I practiced, but not as much as I should have. But the drum set, it was never, never, uh, never had to convince me to practice. <laughs> but why not? Design? Didn't enjoy it. Didn't see the value in it. Didn't, didn't, just didn't want. No, to- I, I did enjoy it actually. I just didn't have as much of an affinity for it as I did the uh, the drum set. And and you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe if it was, I don't know. Maybe if it was a marimba or a vibraphone, I would have been more inclined to practice because. I like those instruments a bit more, even though it's you know similar structure. Mm-hmm. But the xylophone, like you know, it's like I don't I don't really hear about a lot of cats that like you know that grew up just playing xylophone. I mean, it's like a lot of guys I, I know play right. vibraphone and you know the four handed vibraphone thing, and and even with marimba too, but xylophone not so much. So I I guess I just mm-hmm. wasn't as attracted to the instrument. Yeah, and I mean. I can see the, I can see even, even more like when I was in college, I played, you know, xylophone or rim and all that stuff. And I, I feel like as, I don't know if it's just personal preference, but as a drummer, I felt more, more, I gravitated more towards marimba. Yeah. It just feels like a warmer warmer instrument. instrument, Feels a little bit more, a a little bit more, I don't want to say percussive, but uh, even more like legato. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It it feels like it just has like this, this warmer vibe to it versus a xylophone to me. It feels a little. You know, I don't know, a little sharp, I guess. Yeah, it's like know. a that's soprano. Right. I, don't even, I don't even know if that makes. I don't even know if that makes any sense. I don't know what I'm talking about over here. But I was just saying, though. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, there's a difference, in, difference in the texture and the tone. You know, more dry. Mm-hmm. Definitely mm-hmm. seems to be more dry, typically. Yeah. You know. Yeah. If I, you know, marimba has lower registers, so yeah, it's warmer and play bass. Can you still play marimba now, or a vibraphone, or a xylophone, or anything? Yeah, I could. Yeah, I could do simple things. You know, I, sometimes I compose on the piano, and you know, they they basically have the same format. It's just different technique so do you have the do you have the four mallet thing going i never really i mean i play at least you know four finger five 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 note polyphony six note polyphony on the on the keys but with the vibraphone and, and marimba and i never really got hardcore into like the four mallet thing yeah i couldn't do it i could never do it i had the one time i had i had to play this bass line with my left with two mallets and i was like that's about as far as i'm going here yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like and I played piano and all, it was just, it was just something that, you know, it didn't, it didn't feel right to me or I don't know, probably just didn't practice enough to be honest with you. But cause I think with, you know, with anything with practice comes, uh, comes mastery, but, right, right, right. um, so I'm thinking about you growing up as a kid and everyone in your family, like you said, can play drums, has sort of this natural beat. Your grandfather is one of the you know one of the most prolific living drummers in this in the world uh your uncles play all that so how much do you think how much do you think of it was sort of you know divine intervention and and not divine intervention but but you know natural um ability and how much of it do you think was you having to take the time to really master the instrument um and I don't mean that in a way that I don't think that that you worked hard to be proficient at your craft. Right, right, right. So I just want to preface it with that. I didn't mean that in a in a negative mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I can give you like a number percentage, like you know, 
for you though. For because I feel like no matter how hard I practice, I would never, I would never be as good of a player as you are. Period. It's kind of like no matter how much I practice basketball, I'm never going to be Michael Jordan. I don't know, but he practiced a lot though. <laughs> he put uh, a he lot did. of time. That he though. did, but <laughs> yeah. but then again, he also had like a natural. I mean, his his physique. I mean, it was kind of like perfect for basketball. He had like really big hands to palm the ball and stuff like that. And, right. you know, he wasn't super tall, but he's tall. But then again, there's a lot of short cats in the NBA that made away. Like, you know, Spud Webb and Spud Bugsy Webb. Bogues and yeah. people like that. They're like shorter yep. than me. <laughs> and they could dunk. Yeah. It's kind of it's really amazing. But The fact, yeah, the the fact that uh, that that Spud Webb could dunk blows my mind could Muggsy dunk Actually, I don't know if Muggsy could dunk because he was like significantly shorter than, than me he was like a few inches shorter yeah. but no but Spud yeah but Spud yeah. was like 5'7 though right uh yeah something like that yeah five yeah I think I think Spud Webb was uh I'm sorry Muggsy Bose was he's like 5'3 like five, five. right I was gonna say he's like 5'3 or 5'4 yeah no, M- Muggsy is pretty damn short but Right, but uh, once I saw those guys play basketball, I was like, "Hmm." I was like, "Maybe I can maybe, play the other. Maybe it's possible, right? If you put the time, yeah. If you, if you, that's really where you're yeah, at. A hell of a jumper. Yeah, you know. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but I, mean, I yeah, I definitely, I definitely had a you know natural affinity and and uh, a calling, something in the blood, something in the spirit to to play the drums for sure. But but then again, yeah. you know, I had to put a lot of time in too. So um, well, of course, of course, I, I still don't know. I don't know if I can. I don't know what the percentages would be, but. <laughs> and I guess, I guess sort of that was another, like a roundabout way of me asking, do you think that we all sort of have unlimited potential or unlimited ability to learn? Right. So if, if you're, do you think that someone who's 25 years old, never played drums before sees you and says, man, I want to, I want to be that good of a drummer and they can actually get there. Because I think there's a lot of other elements that are involved. It's like the household you grew up in, the things that you started learning at such a young age that you probably don't even realize. Like for me, business makes sense to me, mm-hmm. right? And everybody's like, oh, you know all the stuff about business. I'm like, not really. I grew up, my family owned a bunch of businesses and I've known it my whole entire life. So I just sort of absorbed all of that stuff throughout my life. Didn't really know that I was absorbing it. Yeah. So, you know, so with you, if so, you compared to someone that's starting at 25, you you're sort of you, you know you're sort of like way ahead of the game already whether you know it or not you right, know? Right, right. um so i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that about whether you think you know we all do have that unlimited ability to learn that unlimited potential inside of us and we just sort of have to tap into it yeah, well i mean to a certain degree yes i mean then again it's like you think about it it's like okay well you know the older you get usually the more responsibilities you have and the less time you have to do certain things usually i mean it's not always the case but a lot of people you know you got to work and you got to pay bills and all that stuff so it's it's easy to put a lot it's usually a lot easier to put time into a craft when you're younger and you don't have as many responsibilities Mm -hmm. i mean but i mean yeah it's like okay well how many hours in there in a day how how much time can you put into the instrument or into the particular craft that you're that you're working towards i mean if you if you think about it like that but then you also think like, well, how much time do we have in this in this life? You know what I mean? Right. It's like, yeah, it helps if definitely people. I don't think everybody's. I think there's a limited. I think everything is infinite. You know, it's infinite potential. But at the same time, I don't think everybody starts off in the same place. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's a lot of people that really. I mean, I don't know. Well, how, how would I say this? I mean, there there are there are definitely people that are born with 
that I believe were born with, you know, gifts or they're blessed or, you know, there's certain like innate things or some things that travel in the DNA. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know, to a certain degree, I feel like it's a fair game, though, if you're willing to put in the time. It mm-hmm. really is because even somebody that's gifted, um, just being gifted is is not enough. And somebody who's not necessarily born with the same type of gift who puts in more time eventually will, um, you know, or can surpass the person who's gifted if if they're just kind of lazy and not really like being a steward with their gift. Mm-hmm. So 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, if Kobe didn't practice, if Michael Jordan didn't practice, if all of these guys didn't really, I mean, those guys pra- like were insane with practice. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And I think I think the people just look at them and they say, "Oh, they're you know they're just a great athlete." But those guys put it. To, I always I always quote Will Smith, and people like give me give me shit about it all the time. But uh, but he you know he always says that that talent you have naturally, but skill comes from hours and hours and hours of beating on your craft. And ta- it's your talent is only going to take you so. It's far. It's true. It will only take you. And so you need far. to develop skill. But at the same time, now we're talking about music. We're not talking about basketball. So this is how it's a little different because it's not about scoring points. And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. about ability to, you know, to a certain degree, that doesn't really mean anything. I mean, that's, mm. you know, it's about artistry more than anything, right? So it's like, right. you, you know, some people can have a sound or they f- they find something in themselves that they can really like go with. And they have like their own thing going and they don't really sound like anybody else. And they might not be able to technically play some, a lot of things that other people can play, but but they have a sound, which is something that a lot of people don't have, you know? So right. there's always right. that. I mean, the basketball... Sports is not really the same. I mean, you can still have a style and everything, but ultimately it's about like being able to, to make the team win, right? Or scoring points. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. So you're saying if you're, I, I, and I've said this before too, like if you are, if you're the greatest basketball player in the world, statistically, right? So like if you can, you can dunk, you have the best free throw of this, that, blah, 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 you'll find a team and you're going to win. But if you're if you're the best quote unquote the best drummer in the world, looking totally from like a st- statistic skill uh, viewpoint, right? So if you have if you can play, you know your chops faster than everybody else, and you can do all of this stuff that's technically more proficient than everyone else, still doesn't mean you're going to get a gig. Still doesn't mean you're an artist. Still doesn't mean that you can communicate on the instrument. Is that is, is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, this doesn't necessarily make you a musician. It makes you an instrumentalist. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it really good for? I mean, you might you might find a lane. You know, maybe some some people are really interested in just you know technical proficiency in an instrument more so than actually right. playing a piece of music. So, and there has to be some level of technical proficiency, right? Yeah, so of you course. gotta be able to you gotta be able to get your ideas out. That goes without saying. Yeah. Um. So what's your what's your take on that? Do you see do you see more technical proficiency than musicality that's happening now? Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can say it's more now than it was before because I, I haven't really been around that long. But right. I don't really know what the scene was like. And there in the wasn't, 80s. you know, we didn't grow up with we didn't grow up with Instagram and all that right. stuff either. But to like see all that exactly. Stuff. But I would imagine that from from what I know, I would imagine that it's definitely a lot greater now because just the nature of the industry. You know, it's like industry is usually focused on that type of thing. The music industry is. Why do you think that is? Because it's. <laughs> Because it's bullshit. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if I can curse out here. <laughs> but it, it, yeah, the of industrial, course. The industrial side of any industry. I mean, you look at music and you look at music industry, you look at sports, sports industry. It's just about money. So it's not even about the first word. It's about it's just about the industry. You know what I mean? It's about the business. So mm-hmm. I think um, it's easy for people to kind of sell, sell like, you know, music or 
don't know, playing an instrument is this tangible thing that, that anybody can do, which to a certain degree is true, but at the same time, it's easier to sell it and to capitalize off of it if you're just if you're just talking about like technique and you know what I mean? Like if you're not actually talking mm-hmm. about if you're just talking about like, you know, like rudiments or some shit like that. Like, okay, just play these rudiments. Right. Like, okay, it's pretty simple. Just practice this these rudiments, all these different tempos. Now, so, yeah, it's like, all right, there you go. Play this right. beat. All right, cool. You're good. You're good to go. Give me my money, pay me. All right, cool. We're good. Or right. you know, I mean it's just Well, and I also I I think it's I think it's a lot less intimidating to say, okay, you want to be a drummer, like learn all these patterns out of this book and you're a drummer versus saying, okay, you want to be a, a musician. All right, go into the go into the practice room. I want you to learn these 10 tunes. I want you to learn the melody of these 10 tunes. Then I want you to be able to express that melody across the entire drum kit. Oh, and I need you to make the band feel good while you're doing it too and honor the tradition of the style of music that you're playing. And it's like, yeah. oh, shit, maybe... Yeah. I should just learn the rudiments. Yeah, exactly. It's lots. This is more basic. It's easier to teach. And it's easier, I guess, to c- comprehend. It's like a very simple law. It's like, oh, just you know, play this, and you're good. But I, also, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think about it for. I think about it a lot, and I know that it's just like, like you said, there was no Instagram and stuff like that back in the day, right? But there is now. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of beauty in that. There's a lot of um. There's a lot of power within the individual to just you know they could just put anything out there. You know, things can things can go viral. That's that's kind of cool. It's, I think that's pretty interesting, actually. I like that aspect of, of what's changed in the industry. But then, at the same time, I just look at a lot of um, I look at a lot of schools, especially like the ones with like, you know, jazz programs, conservatories, and stuff like that. And um, I feel like for for the most part, um, it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of fucked up. It's kind of sad, actually. I mean, the idea of having a school teaching kids and teaching kids about the history that's that's all good. That's all great. But it's just like I don't know. It's like the for the vast majority of the schools that I've been to, at least, I feel like it's really just it's not even really about the culture or the music. It's really just another business. And a lot of the times, I feel like the importance importance of the history, what actually happened, or for instance, like there's still a lot of people that are alive. Like I mean, a lot of them are are dying, but there's a lot of elders that are still around. And I feel like rather than trying to let these people uh, be exposed to them while they're still here. They're like reading these corny history books about what happened, even if it's like a pretty false account of what happened. You know, it's like you can ask people that were actually mm-hmm. there while they're still alive. You know what I'm saying? Right. But it's just right. like, right. Yeah. It's not like it ha- it's not like this happened in the 1820s. Yeah, exactly. I, I just feel like the priorities are like, for the most part are pretty uh, like reversed. They're like backwards. Oh, that's what I feel like for the most part. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's exceptions. Like there's a lot of great musicians that are teaching in these schools, but I don't know, man. The curriculum, I think, is pretty tainted. <laughs> Do you think it's just a matter of, like, because it's it's box checking? Yeah, some of it's yeah. like, they don't really care. You know what I mean? It's kind of mm-hmm. half-assed. But then, I don't know, some of it's maybe just because they just really don't genuinely think they're doing the right thing, I guess. I don't know. I would imagine some people actually believe in what they're doing. <laughs> But I think for some people, right? And I think that there's some great there's some great programs out there too. Like you look at somebody like Ed So for something like that, who had a great you know a great program in Texas, and you know I think there are some good programs. But but I agree. I mean I think by and large that we don't need to go down this road. But I think by and large the whole entire education system is tainted. Absolutely. You know, whether you go to music school or I'm business school, or whatever, like absolutely these, public schools, high schools, junior high schools. Yeah, no, it's definitely tainted for sure. The curriculum right. is tainted. Right. The books are pretty foul. I sort of education like, is free out here, basic education, but then you come out and it's like, what the fuck did you really learn? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I th- I think 
it depends on what you need to do and what you want to do. You know, like if you, you know, if you want to be a lawyer, you got to go to school. If you want to be a doctor, you got to go to school. You got to learn, you know, law and you got to learn all that stuff. But like, I don't know. I feel like if you want to be a business guy, you don't have to go to school for a, a degree. You know, that's just my opinion. But for sure, for law and, and to be a doctor and all that stuff. But to start a business, though, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like all the people that everybody looks up to dropped out. <laughs> they all dropped out. Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. like all the real, like the top cats. It seemed like a lot of them, a lot of them dropped out. I mean, there was a time mm-hmm. where like people seemed to start businesses. And first of all, let's think about the price of school, right? Because first of all, why is it so, why is it so expensive? Because it's a business. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> why do people have to come out like six figures in debt? You know what I mean? You know, it's funny. I've read, this is going off topic a little bit, but I've read this book. It's called Clean. It's, um, it's by a doctor. He's a heart, he was a heart doctor and realized that the whole entire medical system was completely tainted, which we sort of already knew, right? Like the insurance companies and all that. But the one thing that was interesting, he was like, you, you have to realize that hospitals are not out there doing this for their own good. It's a business and they're there to make money and they're trying to sell you things like surgeries. They're trying to sell you medicine. They're trying to sell you rehabilitate. They're, that's all sales to them. It's a business. You know, that's why it's so expensive because it's a business and your life depends on it. Yeah. It's, it's like, also, it's oh, like, shit. when you look at it like that, you're like, oh, guaranteed my God. money. <laughs> if people want to live, it's like, yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah. Well, we could, it's, we can save you, but it's going to cost you $150,000. Nobody's going to be like, you have any cheaper options? Right, 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 you know, right. <laughs> they're going to be like, save me. I want to live. Yeah. Yeah. How, what do I get for the $75,000? Well, it's like, you can buy a plane ticket to, the, <laughs> to Europe. You know what I'm saying? That's the, that's the sad thing. It's like, I can go to another country and get the same thing for how much? I can like buy a mm-hmm. first class ticket and stay in a hotel and get the same thing for like <laughs> a yeah. third the price. Yep. And yeah, I was going to say for a fraction <laughs> of the cost, 100%. Yeah. The idea of sort of backtracking a little bit and talking about sort of the, uh, you know, Instagram, that whole culture and everything and technical proficiency versus musicality and all of those things. I, I, I stand at the intersection of saying whatever gets people into drumming for me, whatever serves as the gateway drug, I think is, is amazing. I think it's great. But then from there, there has to be something else that gets them to the true essence of what it means to be a musician. And for for me, I think that a, a lot of the technical proficiency is getting sensationalized and we're not making the turn to the musician or the musicality side of it. And there is a difference between the music business and sort of the the drumming business, right? So I think the drumming business is sort of the, all the technical stuff and, you know, the the clinics and conferences and all that kind of stuff. But then I think the music business is the side that you're in where you're gigging, you're touring, you're playing, you know, with, with, uh, A-list artists and things like that. What's your take on, on that? Do you agree w- with that? Or do you disagree with that? Wait, do I agree with the fact that, uh, there's a difference between the, the drum industry and the music industry? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, there is, there is, there is a difference. I mean, yeah, the drum industry, I guess, I guess it's a part of the music industry, but, but there's definitely a difference. Cause I mean, there is a, I mean, shit, there's, there's just, drum industry is so big unto itself. I mean, you know, I went to NAMM for the first time this year, this earlier in January. Did your head explode? <sighs> well, I got out of there. I got out of there in time. If I ever go back, I'm going to do it a little differently, though. I'm definitely going to do it a little differently. How so? Uh, I'm, I'm interested because I'm going in January. Oh, so. yeah. No, I'm going to have – I didn't bring earplugs, but I got so much I got there. I, I think oh, I yeah. got some after I got there. 
I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely gonna go through with the earplugs already in. I'm gonna have sunglasses mm-hmm. on. I'm gonna have a hat on. I'm just gonna be like super just because it's super. It's just sensory overload. It's really loud. It's really bright. It's really like it's yeah. just really everything. So I think once you do that, I saw some people that were that were doing it a certain kind of way, and I was like, yeah, that's that's probably the best the best approach. Actually, <laughs> probably the best way to do it. Yeah. Just chill out. Like guys had like a little flask and just like take a little sip. Just walk around. Oh, you know, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the kind of the way to do it. 100%. Are you a big gear guy? A big gear guy? Are you? you no. Know, yeah, they like, do you like geek out over gear? Here's the thing. Y- yes and no. Like, I, I even even before I finally went to NAMM, I, there was a time where every January or like late January when they finally started posting photos, I just wanted to see what's the new thing that people came out with. Like, was there anything interesting? And to the, for the right. most part, I feel like 80% of it is not to me. But I just want to check it out, you know. And I like—I mean, I do like looking. Right. I love looking at drums, so I'm always down to just look yeah. at new finishes, or if somebody got some different kind of wood or something, I'm, I'm down with that. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like the hardware and all the other random stuff, um, or even even a lot of times when it comes to the actual to the actual drum itself, like this, I don't think they usually make a significant improvements. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's more. There's a lot of gimmicky yeah, stuff. it's a lot of gimmicky stuff. So it's like I'll look at the drums, but in terms of the hardware, right. though, I think a lot of times. Instead of progressing, it kind of digresses a lot. I feel like I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of times I find a piece of hardware or something that I really I really like, and then the next thing I know, it's gone or it's been quote unquote improved into something that's to me unnecessary. You know, it's like space age aerodynamic. And, yeah, and I'm like, man, like, it's not that. I'm not flying. Yeah. A, I'm not flying this thing. I just need to play. Yeah, I like very. I mean, I, I guess I tend to like basic basic kind of gear that just work that's reliable you know what i mean firm sturdy right but i don't need anything like crazy right. every now and then i'll find something i'm like okay that kind of made it easier but for the most part i just feel like the stuff kind of gets worse it just gets bigger and worse right so yeah and and the only reason i ask is because i'm not a i'm not a big gear guy so i sort of walk around now and i'm like oh, okay i get like i love you know obviously i love looking at beautiful drums and everything but i just i love people so i like being there and talking to people and meeting new people and seeing old friends and things like that. So, but the gear thing, I, I just like walk up to the booth and I'm like, Oh, okay, that's cool. I don't really know what to do. And then I just walk away. So it's a little weird. for right. me. Um, so I want to, I want to touch on one more thing about the, about the sort of music, uh, drumming business kind of thing. So if, if this serves as a catalyst to get you into the, into drumming, into, you know, whether if you're just watching videos on Instagram and you're like, wow, man, this guy can play like, you know, paradiddles with his feet at 400 beats per minute. Like if that gets you into drumming, great. That's cool. How do you think that we can continue to spread the message or continue to get people hip to the musicality side of playing and, 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 and really why that's important to be a musician and to be a drummer or is it important? Does it even matter? Like, is the industry completely changing? Well, um, wait. So you're asking me if it if it matters if people um, put more of an emphasis on the, or more of an emphasis on the musical aspect of. Well, I'm thinking if if all of these people like if you go on Instagram, there's you know hundreds of thousands of drummers on there, and a lot of these guys have like seventy, eighty, a hundred and fifty thousand followers, right, right? Right, right, right? And and a large percentage of them. I don't want to say all because there's amazing guys who have huge followers. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that, but a large percentage of them are just technically proficient. Right, 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 right. And so I guess the one part of the question would be one, how do we get all those people that are following all these people to realize or get them 
more in tune with the musicality side of things, right? So then there's hundreds of thousands of drummers that are now learning about musicality. Like, do you think there is an answer for that? And I guess the second part of the question would be, or does it not even matter because that's just where the industry is going and it's more about technical proficiency now and less about musicality? Yeah, I don't know if I can say that I would even be, I mean, I guess somebody like me, I play drums, but I play a lot, I play in a lot with a lot of different musicians. So I guess I don't really care. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm trying to think, I'm like, does it matter if there's more people that are just more technically proficient? Does it really matter? I mean, I wonder about that. Is this something, is it like, right. a, is this like what I feel, what I feel like the art was in danger, more people were more just concerned with playing rudiment. Um, I don't know if I can really say that it would have, I mean, I would feel kind of sad because I'd be like, it would be nice if people play music, but I mean, as long as it, it doesn't have to change what I'm doing, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I guess, of course, so I of guess course. a certain degree. It's just like, I, I guess yeah, I'm thinking I of the long, like the long term effects. Yeah, you know, if in 30 years, like you know, no one even knows how to play a I melody, play groove or something or a melody. <laughs> yeah, or like, like every song is just like, <laughs> it sounds like you're like, I don't even know what yeah, that is. It's like know? a apocalypse drum apocalypse <laughs> like that. yeah because because it doesn't happen like it i feel like it doesn't happen a lot with bass players and it doesn't happen a lot like yeah. for some reason us drummers are too add to like play a groove for five minutes it's like every every video that i watch and now i'm getting on my soapbox but every video i watch it's like one two three four one one yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. dude could go eight bars without playing a yeah, film yeah, yeah yeah i know what you mean Go twelve bars without play. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah, I heard what you're saying. Man, maybe I'm getting. I old. wonder what's happening to the collective culture. Yeah, I wonder what it really. I mean, because I feel like there's still, like I said, like I, you know, just playing with a lot of a lot of different type of musicians. I feel like uh, I, I don't really. Ha- I mean, that that kind of stuff happens a lot, but a lot of people that I play with don't necessarily, you know, want that kind of stuff to happen in the music that they're playing. And so, <laughs> right. I'm like, I mean, there's still music industry outside of the drum industry. Even if yeah. the music, even the drum industry is somehow inside the music industry, there's still like a lot in the, in the music that, that has nothing to do with that uh, quote unquote, um, you know, popular popular drum style. Right, and I think people, I I think people get mad at me because they think that I hate that side of it. I don't. I love that side of it. I get it. Like it's cool, and it gets people into drumming, and it's a whole other thing. It's it's it's, its own thing. And I think that's great. I think it's amazing. I really do. I'm not just saying right, that. Right, right, right. Um, I. Like, I think it's so, and like, I geek out to it. I go watch somebody play and I'm like, my God, like they're, you know, they're athletes. Like some of these guys are playing stuff that I couldn't even imagine playing. Yeah, no, no. That's, 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 that is amazing. That can be amazing for sure. But I always stress that like, it's not music. That's all. That's my only point. I mean, I think there's a time and a place for everything. You know, like that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why I always love Dennis, Dennis Chambers, because it's like, he could do yeah. all that, but then he also, he will literally just play a groove for like, three minutes straight or you know he he can chop out if he wants to but it's like you know he does it when he thinks the music calls for it you know there's, there's a time right but if, right. but if you're just doing that the whole time it's like damn man i don't know how much i can take right <laughs> but that's just me this session is brought to you by promark and their new fire grain drumstick 
This is a revolutionary heat tempering process that transforms ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. They keep the original weight and balance and feel, but these sticks allow drummers to hit harder and play longer, but without any space age gimmicks or adding any materials or anything like that. This is 100% natural hickory. In fact, me and Elijah Navarro from Promark talk about this whole entire thing. If you want to check out an episode, check out drummersresource.com forward slash session 337. We get all into the anatomy of a drumstick and specifically how they make these drumsticks. It's a really great episode. You may want to check that out. Or you can always learn more about Promark and their great products by going to promark.com. Now let's get back into it with Marcus Gilmore. I want to switch gears a little bit talking about, you know, all the all the people that you play with. Um, notably for me, I think that you played with Chick Corea and you did it at a, at a really young age, right? And you got how did how did that happen? You got introduced someone introduced you to Chick or how did that work? Yeah, actually I was I was always when I was young, I was always going to a lot of shows. Like if you know, as long as I was going to school and making 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 school, I could my mom would take me out and I would go to shows up until I was a teenager, then I would go out on my own. But but before mm-hmm. then when I was like nine and ten and all that stuff, I would just go to shows. So she took me she took me to gigs. And um, the first time I met him was was actually a gig that my grandfather was playing with him in ninety. I think it was ninety six. It was a uh, this Bud Powell band, and they they basically they basically uh, yeah they were on tour for about a year or something like that. And I saw them at Carnegie Hall. That's the first time I actually met him. Went backstage and met him. And then I would see him. You know, we stayed in touch, and I would see him play with like Electric Band or something like that. You know, years down the road. Every time I saw him, I was like a little bit taller. You know, I was pretty short when I first met him. I think I was like eight or something <laughs> like that. But every every year I'd see him, I'd be like a little bit taller. And um, how tall are you now? Uh, well, eventually I stopped growing. <laughs> I'm like I'm five well, yeah. nine. <laughs> oh, you five, got me. Uh, maybe right. like five eight, five nine. Yeah. All right, I'm five seven if the humidity. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so anyway, go so ahead. Sorry. Great. Yes, but yeah, I can dunk. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so so that was I mean that's basically what was happening. I just kept seeing them, you know. And then um, there was one time in two thousand, uh, it was probably like around the year two thousand or something like that, two thousand or two thousand one, when he was doing that long residency at the first. I think it was the first time he did a long residency at the Blue Note. So I was going mm-hmm. to hear a lot of a lot of different bands as, as much as I could, you know. I, yeah, I be- mm-hmm. befriended. Well, I knew some of the people at the Blue Note and some of the people in this management at that time. So, because this stuff is real expensive too, so you can't like, you know. I know. I I was just there. I actually I just saw Chick uh, at the Blue Note the last time he was there. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. So yeah, I saw him with uh with. Oh with yeah. Dad. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's 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 expensive if you especially if you want to go to. Yeah. It's like a, you know, it's a hundred dollar a night. You know. <laughs> yeah, it is, and that's the, you know that's kind of that's kind of hard. You know, it's not the most accessible thing, but. You know, fortunately, I knew I knew some people, so so I was cool to get in. And then, um, mm-hmm. yeah, at one point, it was actually his wife's idea, because she heard that I was playing in this trio. And well, this is when I was in high school. I was a freshman, I believe, or maybe a sophomore. And she heard that I was playing with some this trio at my high school. Uh, some friends of mine, we would play one of Chick's tunes. So she was like, "Oh, maybe maybe you guys should come up and play for Chick. You know, that might be kind of sweet." And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And then uh, <laughs> she was like, "Oh, maybe you can play it with Chick." And I was like. Oh yeah, I mean that would be even better. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, let's do that one instead. Yeah, 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 exactly. 
So, <laughs> so that's basically what happened. And she, she ran it by him. He was cool. So that, that's the first time he actually heard me play. So um, this was like 2000, I think it was 2001. Yeah. Man, so you were young. Yeah, I was about 15. Or Freshman in high school. 15. Yep. Jeez. What was that like at that age? Oh, uh, yeah. I was, you know, I was pretty nervous and I, I was. Did you feel right? Re- I mean, did you feel confident? I mean, did you feel ready to play? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, did you feel ready to play at that level? Well, I mean, what level? Like, play with Chick, you mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes. And, but at the same time, you know, I mean, I knew I had it's one way to go. And, you know, I, I didn't think I was, you know, I wasn't playing that many professional gigs at that time. So, I, I mean, I knew I could hang, but, like, I couldn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Mm-hmm. I knew I could hang, but yeah. I, I didn't think it was gonna be like some mind blowing shit. But <laughs> I play the right. song, you know what I mean? Like, I <laughs> right? But I mean, so at that age, I mean, you'd only been playing for what five or six years, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, about five years. Yep. But like at that at that age, what was what else were you doing? Was there a lot of balance in your life, or was it just drums? Or were you like playing sports? You were hanging out with your friends? You're going to the mall? Or were you like I play drums and I play drums? Well, the thing is, you know. I did play sports, but not. I only I only really played like a one official league when I was super young. I was like seven. I played soccer. After that, I just played street sports, like a little bit of basketball, but mostly football. I used to play football a lot on the street. Like you know, I grew up in Queens, so we had like main streets, but we also had back streets. So mm-hmm. you know, there there would be like patches of time when no cars would come by, so you can actually play a game on the street. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I did that quite a bit. But once I got the drums, I was like, man, I'm done with all that shit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm not trying to get. I'm not trying to get my hand hurt. I'm not trying to get my feet. I need all my limbs. Up. Right. So you were thinking about that even. At oh a yeah. Age. Once I was like ten or eleven, I was like, yeah, I'll go outside. I'll play, but I'm not gonna like do anything like that. You know, I'll go to the park. I'll go to Six Flags. Go to roller coasters. I'll do that, but I won't play like football. <laughs> you know, I wasn't gonna do that. Really? Did, did did the neighborhood give you shit about it? Um. Nah, no, nah, they're like, uh. I was like, I'm playing drums, like, I got my priorities straight. <laughs> I was just like, this is my shit, you know. Because, I mean, I, I, I got to imagine it's got to be a little bit difficult to be a 13-year-old jazz drummer in Queens in the 80s. Well, no, I mean, it wasn't the 80s, you know, I was born the in 90s. the 86, so this is really like around 2000. Right. It was like, uh, you okay. know, like 99, um, 99, 2000, and... Uh, and no, actually, that that community is it's a pretty strong musical community. Um, a lot of people came through there. You know, when I was younger, for a second, I almost started playing piano, and I, I got some piano lessons from. Uh, well, my mom called him Uncle Uncle Jackie. It was actually Jackie Byard who lived down the block, and mm-hmm. um, he came with some piano lessons. And you know, Roy Eldridge lives right around the corner from us. He he passed away by the time I was born, but it was just his his daughter was living there, and like a lot of musicians in that community, actually. Low key Queens is actually home, was actually home to like a lot of the greatest musicians. Some of them were from there, but a lot of them moved there, especially African American musicians, because they had these pockets of like kind of like middle class African American communities where, uh, and then they had some more affluent ones too, like James Brown lived or Coltrane lived. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At one point, like it's kind of crazy to think about where like how many people actually lived there. Oh yeah, but, but it was yeah. it was really crazy. So. When I was growing up, there was just so much music around. Nobody was really. I never got any complaints for practicing. Um, I was thinking about your peers of you know of your friends that are like, oh, we're going, you uh, know, we're going and doing this, and we're we're listening to this. You're like, I'm gonna stay home and listen to John Coltrane records and play drums. Yeah, well, the thing is, I, I listen. I mean, the thing is, I was into everything. You know, I was into pop and all right. that too. You know, I'm a child of the '80s, so right. that was very much a part of the culture. Mm-hmm. But um, 
But at the same time, yes, I would listen to John Coltrane as well. You know, I would listen to Miles right. Davis. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, they couldn't really make fun of me. They knew I was serious about my craft. And, I mean, shit, they could make fun of me if they wanted. It wouldn't change anything. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so I was like, I'm still mm-hmm. doing this. So. Um, it's amazing at that young of an age where you're like, nope, I'm not, you know, I don't want to play football. I don't want to do this because I, I don't want to hurt my hand. So you were thinking, like, this is what I'm going to do. Oh, yeah, I was thinking like that since I was, like, seven, you know. But, wow. but I was still playing. And it was modeled too, right? And you're like, it's possible. I can oh, do yeah, this. yeah, yeah. Thank God I had, thank God I had um, um, people I looked up to, to that were doing it. So I saw that it was actually possible. You know, that's one of the, mm-hmm. you know, that was one of the, one of the greatest things about being able to see my grandfather at such a young age. I knew that. I knew that it was possible. A lot. Some people don't, yeah. don't get to see that, you know, firsthand. So I don't take it for granted at all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. um, no, yeah, no. I mean, I, I would still go out though. Don't get it twisted. Like in summertime, we had like water guns and you know super soakers and all that shit. Like I, I was into all that and right. video games too. I was, I can still play video games. I won't, I won't get hurt playing video games. <laughs> oh, you're like, yeah, I can, I can do, do that. that. Yeah, that's cool. But, <laughs> but uh, no, I won't be playing like tackle football though. <laughs> right. Well, that makes sense. Uh, so tell me about. I read somewhere about this ride symbol, this Peisty ride symbol that I guess you're that chick owned and and your grandfather played on a record with it and then you played on a record with it yeah it was, did i make that up well it's kind of kind of true i mean basically it was a ride that i guess Pisces gave to my grandfather so it was actually his symbol and he he i guess he started playing it because no i guess he felt like nobody else was really playing it, it had a unique sound so so he played it on nice things like sides with chick and it kind of became like an iconic sounding symbol. it was like one of the first recordings of flat ride so um yeah, I mean, it's pretty special symbol, uh, and it also became kind of like the symbol that Chick wanted all his drummers to use. Really, I mean, at that time, I don't think any, I don't think Zildjian was making flat rides until a little bit later. Um, mm-hmm. So at the beginning, Pisces was the only one, and so if you wanted that sound, you kind of had to either get that symbol if you knew if you knew my grandfather, you either had to borrow it from him or you had to find him. <laughs> you know, like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny, like in the beginning. It is funny. It's like, oh yeah, he, he you got to get it. He has yeah. it. Go, 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 yeah, go call. I'll call to go to Switzerland and you know figure it out. It's right, but, right. Um, you know, it, it came to the point where actually, yeah, Chick was was actually borrowing that symbol to let other drummers on his records play too. Like even you know in Spain, Ayrton and all of them are playing that flat. Uh, a lot of those recordings around that time is it's the same symbol. Well, I. Years down the road, I think my grandfather actually gave it to him, like in the early 2000s, or well, late 90s, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, late 90s. He actually gave it to Chick. By that time, you know, Zildjian was making some pretty special ones, and it wasn't like you had to have that one anymore, so, I mean, he just right. he just gave it to him. So Chick has it now. He's had it for the last, like, 20 years, and when I first went on the road with him, I played it, and um, and also when I went on the road with him later, I'm sorry, no, I only played it the first time I went on the road with him, but when I recorded, I recorded uh, down there in Florida, where he lives uh, a few times and, and I played it then too but um, yeah so I, I played it a few times it's actually a pretty small symbol so man what, it's, it's smaller than the sounds a lot smaller uh, what size is it this is 18 oh it's really kinda, it's kind of wild it's like how does this symbol sound like that so so what happened were, you guys were like on the road somewhere and he broke it out and was like here you can play this um, how did it happen uh, I think the first tour I went, with, went on him with it was like a yeah it was that it was a really big um it was kind of a big project. It was like a chamber orchestra with a quartet. And, and he basically, uh, you know, it was basically a situation where we were playing a lot of concert halls and stuff and with a lot of strings. 
So it was kind of a sensitive mm-hmm. environment. And um, well, basically, I had a flat rat. I think I brought a flat rat with me, and it was cool. But he was like, you know, maybe we should maybe we should play this one. And I was like, yeah, I'm down to play that symbol. Yeah. It, it was it was really good symbol to to use for that context in particular because it was such a like mm-hmm. you know all those wooden strings and and they didn't really have like proper uh, they didn't have a situation where it was like fiberglass in between the drums and mm-hmm. so I had to play like super like like probably the largest I've ever played. Yeah, it was it was kind of challenging. Really? It was pretty challenging actually. Huh. It's amazing to me that that all of those recordings or a lot of those recordings have one symbol on it. It's just not like, Oh, this, they don't sound the same. They are the same. It's the same exact. So I just thought it was a really, a really cool story that this, that this thing. And now in your, you know, now you've played it and I don't know. I think it's just a really cool history of a, of one symbol that's sort of went around and been on all these records and how many great drummers have played it, you know, and it's not one line. It's one symbol. I think it's cool. Yep. 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 Who has it now, Chick? Uh, yeah, he still has it. Yeah, yeah, he still has yeah. It. that's so cool. I don't know why I get a kick out of that. I just, I think it's awesome. So, uh, I want to be, I want to be cognizant of your time. I wanted to ask you about one thing about. So, you, you just recently recorded this record with Chris Potter, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I sure did. So, talk to me about that record. What's it? What's it like working with Chris? What's the? What's the vibe in the studio working with him? And how? How do you approach? going in there to uh to record the record with him um chris uh well let's see um i mean it's pretty straightforward really i mean with the with the things that I, that i did with him i mean he's on other kind of projects but the project that we did you know we've just been playing these tunes he wrote some tunes we've been playing them for a long time and then we basically just went to the studio and, and recorded it it was kind of like you know it didn't really require too much too much preparation. We just, cause we've been playing the songs for a while at that point. So, you know, we just went in there and played essentially. I mean, it was, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. We had some problems though. I listened to the record and I'm like, yeah, they just went in to play. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, it's a great record. You know, we've been playing, we, you know, like we, we, he's a, he, he works a lot. He's kind of a workaholic. So Is yeah, he? I mean, he, he's, he's like almost always on the road. So we've done quite a few gigs, you know, leading up to it. And then quite a few once it came out as well. So you know, right. we're pretty familiar with the music so yeah, yeah yeah that makes sense he's a i didn't realize he uh he works that much but uh so are you are you the only guy who plays or does he have like all the he has a bunch of different projects or you're just saying he tours as chris potter a lot no he has he has different projects and and even with this particular project when they when they went on the road i couldn't do all the gigs i did a lot of them you know for, for this particular album mm-hmm. but he has other projects as well yeah yeah, yeah. he's a great saxophone player yep. man yeah. if, if anybody Anybody listening, you should definitely check out some Chris Potter. It's uh, it's great. So we're getting towards the end of the year, right? So 2018 is coming. What are your plans for the next year? What are some things that you have on the horizon or, or some things that you're trying to accomplish in the new year? Uh, trying to finish my album. And um, that's the most, that's the most uh, imperative. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much the most, the most important thing that I'm trying to do right now for me. But I'm also playing with a lot of other people, you know, some other projects going on. Um, uh, you know, doing some recordings, get some gigs. The first, let me see. The first month, what am I doing? I'm doing uh, I'm doing some gigs, some really cool gigs actually. Playing um, I've been doing this some duo gigs with with the great Savion Glover. He's a really great uh dancer, and um, that's been a lot of fun actually. Uh, we're doing a couple of duo. He's doing four nights in San Francisco, two two with just him and Jack Dijonette, and then two with him him and myself. Where's that when? When and where is that? I gotta. I, I want to come see. Yeah, that. that's at the SF Jazz Center. Oh, okay. Yep. 
Yeah, I was just out there a couple months ago with, with Robbie, Robbie Coltrane, Nicholas, and them. That was for uh for the John Coltrane anniversary and uh, Love Supreme anniversary. But yeah, I'll be back with mm-hmm. with Davion, then you know doing some stuff with uh, uh some more stuff with like Vijay Iyer in San Francisco, a couple of gigs, mm-hmm. and then a couple of gigs with my band, and then um actually I have a gig coming up with my band in, in a couple of weeks actually in New York, December fifteenth at New Blue. Um. And what else am I doing? Oh, some stuff with Chick. We're doing like a jazz cruise, the Blue Note thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sound like you sound like Chris Potter, man. You sound like a workaholic. Oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, I can I can get there sometimes. I I can be like that. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, it's good. It's like that's what you know. It's what we want to do. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So if people, where's the best place to find all these dates and everything? Can they do you post the stuff on on Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff? I usually post them on, on my um on my fan page of uh of uh facebook okay and i can link up to all that like i'll put all your all your social links and everything like that in the show notes so people can find it people can people can come check you out and people can follow along to see what you got going on um and one uh i i just want i want to thank you very much for one for working with me to line this up because we kind of went back and forth for a little while so i appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat. I appreciate you putting good music out into the world and moving this instrument forward, man. You're you're a hell of a player and uh, an amazing musician, and I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. All right, that about wraps it up with my main man, Marcus Gilmore. I appreciate you listening. I hope you got some value out of it, and I would love to hear what you got out of this episode. So you can reach out on Instagram at Drummer's Resource. You can send me a message on Twitter at Drummer's R Source, or just shoot me an email, nick at drummersresource.com. I love hearing the feedback and I love hearing what takeaways you got from the episode that you can apply in your own life or in your own playing. And if you are feeling super generous, head over to iTunes, leave a rating or a review for the podcast. I really appreciate it. It helps the podcast show up higher in the search results and all of that good stuff. So you can do that just by going to iTunes, search for Drummers Resource and click on leave a comment. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.